How great is our God. Thank you for singing his praises today. We're glad that you're here. If you would uh, find Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 10 through 17 here in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be reading verse chapter 6 and verse 10. Attention, listen up. Now that you are in his army, things will never be the same. You can kiss your old life goodbye. Each of you have been chosen. You've not necessarily been drafted into his army, but you have been recruited by the one who is our supreme commander, the one who's called the son of man. We recognize by God himself. And as you've come to this basic training today, we want you to be sure you understand the things that you're going through. We've got three phases we're going to talk about in our basic training. The first phase has to do with strength and endurance. The first phase is to be so thorough so that you might stand in battle and not be defeated. You will discover spiritual muscle that you never thought you had. You'll be able to stand longer, endure more, go through more difficulties and stand strong for the Lord because you've come to this basic training today. Phase two, we want you to understand is training to learn and identify the enemy. The training manual gives specific identifying characteristics of the enemy. The enemy may would have you to believe that he is not concerned with us. He wants you to drop your guard. Troops, let me assure you that he is around every corner. He is in every tree. He is under every rock. Some of you already know that the enemy is present. On the third phase of basic training is the issuing of equipment and weapon needed for battle. Pay attention to each and every piece as you will need each of these because if you do not take each piece, if you do not use every piece as it is determined in the manual, you will appear to be weak. And there's no reason for you to appear to be weak when we realize whose army we serve. Are we clear? Are we crystal clear? Well, let's take a look at the manual today. Ephesians chapter six, gonna be reading verses 10 through 17. This now is the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and it's used for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. We see in scripture, the Christian life is much more characterized as a battleground than it is a playground. It's a mistake to think at the hour of our conversion that all troubles cease. In fact, if you hear preaching and teaching of that sort that tells you that when you become a believer or if you're trying to be faithful as a believer, that you should have less troubles. You want to stay away from that kind of teaching because many, it has become popular among many who are proclaiming Christ. The problem with that is that it leaves many who are spiritual babes in Christ who are only seeking after that next emotional experience instead of seeking to serve uh, in an all-out pursuit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're in a lifelong service to our Savior who is King and Lord who's won the victory, gives us victory in battle, spiritual and physical as we follow Him. 
The Lord wants for us peace and joy in our life. Talks much about that, but we understand that peace and joy does not necessarily come simply in tranquility or in lack of action, but instead it comes when we're fighting the good fight. Now, this is not the only place that Paul uses the military terms in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. It says this in the New King James, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. One of Paul's favorite terms has to do with patience and long-suffering. It's also a military term or citation for a person who's taken all that the enemy could throw at them and still they have stood their ground and had victory. Paul lived in an empire that was uh, conquered by military quest and by might. Thus, Paul uses military terms to help the church to fight the Christian battle. And can I ask you if you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus or you do not understand, even as we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus, as we talk about what it is to be able to fight the good fight, to be able to stand for Jesus, that even today that you may realize that you need to call upon Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So I want to encourage you to pay attention and to listen in, particularly if you're a seeker of truth or if you want to know Christ as your Lord and Savior because the Holy Spirit will be at work in your life today. First phase that we talk about has to do with strength and endurance. Verse 10, we read just a moment ago, says be strong in the Lord. Verse 11 says stand against the devil's schemes. You've got some notes there, the first couple of lines there, stand strong in the Lord. Here's, here is what we need to understand. Our enemy is stronger than we are. Any strategy, strategy that is purely self-help or says that you can do it on your own is faulty. In fact, you can go to just about any bookstore today. You go on the website, you can find all kinds of uh, self-help books, self-help websites or things that will say that you can do these things on your own. In fact, sometimes it talks about maybe having a God within, little g, or sometimes there's that star within that wants to shine. Sometimes even these words will sound a little bit like Christian as you hear about it, but we understand so we follow the God's word that all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus, we do have the Holy Spirit who is living inside each one of us. But we realize that uh, if it is not a strength of the Lord by the power of his might, it is sure to fail against a strong enemy. So following along again in your notes, stand strong in the Lord as you are no match for the enemy. In the sister letter, Philippians chapter four and verse 13, maybe some of your favorite, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Apart from Jesus living as if already defeated is inevitable if we do not know Christ. Now, ours is different from other kinds of battles from other people who are in battles because we understand because the victory has already been won in Christ, we're here to stand strong. It doesn't necessarily to fight strong, though Paul does say later to fight the good fight. We simply want the victory that is in our lives, which glorifies God. Just as the Israelites in the Old Testament, particularly when it came to Joshua, they were about to enter into the promised land. Even before they faced their first battle, even before they crossed over the Jordan River, we found that the Lord spoke to Joshua and says, the victory's already been won. So that you can come and you can fight the fight, but you can be assured that the victory has already been won. And so they came in. You remember the first battle was the Battle of Jericho. They won many battles in many different ways. And, but you may also know in the book of Joshua that they did not conquer all the land. They did not take all the victories that the Lord was ready to give them, either because they had not trusted God. They even lost some battles because they did not do things God's way. So toward the end of Joshua, 
Joshua chapter 23, we find Joshua giving a rallying the troops. In Joshua chapter 23 and verse 3, he says this. He says, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Letting them know that by all the battles that have been won, they've been won because of the Lord. And he wanted to kind of reignite the troops. He wanted to kind of paint a vision of what it would look like if they trusted in the Lord and did things the Lord's way. So in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 10, he says this, one man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. I kind of like that picture of one Israelite maybe with a small sword chasing after and a thousand of the enemy running away from God's people. You recognize that all that we read in the Old Testament, all the battles of the Old Testament, there's application there for each one of us, but most every application has to do with the spiritual battles that we fight today against temptation and sin and the actions of the enemy. For you, Jesus has done everything so that you might live a promised land kind of life. He's won the victory. He's still fighting the good fight. He's rooting for you today to live the life that he intended for you to live. So stand strong in the Lord as you are no match for the enemy for a victory is assured only in Christ. Victory is in the Lord. Stand strong and be obedient and faithful. And when that particular battle is long and your hands are weary and your faith, your physical and spiritual strength is getting weak, stay true to the Lord. Continue to trust him. Watch for the Lord will not leave you nor forsake you. He provides what is needed to keep standing strong. Phase two in our basic training today is to be able to identify the enemy. Make no mistake, we need to be able to identify. Let's make sure that we are battling against the right one. Many believers and many Christians and church members today are fighting the wrong battles. Sometimes the enemy would have us confused and not think that he's nearby. At times he wishes to remain camouflaged and, uh, so that we might take down our guard. At other times, there's no mistaking the enemy and how he is at work. There is a tribe in uh, Africa where some of our friends are or where they have gone into, and it is one of the most violent tribes, particularly uh, in that part of Africa, and in, in violent, always battling against other tribes. But before a boy can be considered a man or before he can even marry, blood must be shed. He has to kill somebody in order for that to be able to happen for him to be considered a man and for him to be able to marry someone. Missionaries became, began to infiltrate that tribe and come in and share about the love of Jesus. And because of that, they are no longer the most violent tribe in that area. They are no longer a violent tribe at all. Not that all of them have become believers, but because of the influence of uh, Christianity. Let me ask you this. We know that Satan is around the world is at work. Do you know how many mass shootings have taken place in the United States in 2023? Just this year. I know that you've heard of many, maybe depending on the definition of a mass shooting, one definition is three or more persons shot in one location. Well, at least sometime this week, unless it has changed, the number so far, just this month, in 2023, is 45. No doubt Satan is at work. Read again. Verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see that this present darkness. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Are we living in the evil day? You better believe it. But I got to tell you, as a student of the Bible, I'm not one of those who are thinking that things are just going to get worse and worse until Jesus comes. I believe that certainly could happen. Optimistic that things can get better because of a spiritual awakening. We understand that spiritual awakening will not happen without the church. It's up to the church and up to believers ready to share uh, as well. Speaking of the enemy, you can go to uptown, downtown, honky talk, saloons, bars, watch movies, internet, listen to certain music, go from Hollywood to watching some politicians and you have no problem believing the enemy as it were. You know, I've talked to many a church member who've told me that they believe that a demon is attacking them or demons are attacking them. I mean, it's, they're kind of few and far between, but it's happened from time to time. I had one church member that told me who suffers from uh, narcolepsy, it's inability to stay awake, that he thought it was brought on by a demon. And before I could think to myself, I said, I believe we have that demon on Sunday morning, sometimes while I'm preaching. But let's be sure that we can identify the enemy. We are told the enemy is not flesh and blood. People are not the enemy. In particular, church members are not the enemy. We share a common bond in Jesus. We celebrated what's common as we came to the table of the Lord today. We recognize and we know, you know, some we're, we're, we stop perfect at it. We understand we're going to make mistakes. We're not always going to treat each other exactly right. But we understand, particularly from Ephesians chapter 4, 32, that we're to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even to those people who are not kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another, we are continue to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to those. I can't tell you how many people have told me that, oh, they just love Ephesians. Maybe a particular part of Ephesians, they love what's being said, they have uh, loved this series, and I, I think that's great. But let's be sure that what we're loving is not just the words, but we love to put it in practice. Don't treat each other like we are the enemy. Try this, try this radical practice sometime. Before you speak, or before you act, or before you post something, think. Well, that'd be radical, wouldn't it? Maybe think about if what you're about to say, what you're about to do, or what you're about to post, would this be encouraging? Is it helpful? Would you be encouraged by what it is that what you're about to say or what you're about to do? Nor is the enemy lost people. Does a politician or news person ever say something that really makes you mad? Have you ever had an unkind neighbor or boss or coworker or classmate or family member, team member or coach? <laughs> They're not the enemy. If they're lost and without Christ, you're, you're trying to win them to your side to know Jesus. Don't treat them like the enemy. Treat them like they're somebody that you want to come and be a part of your spiritual family. Well, now you know who the enemy is. Well, know this, the enemy is real. This text is a sobering reminder, lest we forget there is an evil force at work for which we are to be ever mindful. And while we are no match for the enemy, we remember that greater is he that is in me, meaning Jesus, than he that is in the world. And while we need to know the enemy, much more is that we know the victor. And we're learning more and more about Jesus. And it's, it's not like, you know, God's a little bit more powerful than the devil. I mean, the comparison is uh, 
beyond what we can comprehend. To say that he's that it's a comparison of an elephant to an ant would only begin to scratch the surface. And, th- and if the enemy's more powerful than us, well, what does that say about us? But the scripture helps us know our enemy is sin, Satan, and death without Jesus. Satan means adversary. Devil means slander. One of the Greek names for Satan is Apollyon, which means destroyer. Jesus calls him the murderer, the liar, the father of lies, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter chapter 12 and verse 31 says this, Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In John 12 and verse 31, he is called the prince or the ruler of this world. The obvious places where Satan is at work or where evil is in the world may not be as dangerous to where he is at work among the church and among believers. After all, I mean, if you think of, say, if you really saw somebody that you really thought was demon-possessed, or even the conflicts that are happening worldwide or uncommon disasters and those things, they might cause us to fear. In fact, those things might actually cause people to run to God for the answers. But all but Satan knows, if he can distract the church, if he can cause believers to compromise or to seek after the secular or allow problems to weaken their faith, or as is, is often the case, and maybe something that he used often among believers, if he can get Christians to decide that they're going to focus on something good, but not necessarily the best, well, then he can certainly have a goal. He can certainly strive for his goal, which is to keep other people from knowing Jesus. Can you think of any examples? I mean, going after something good instead of what is best, and well, I mean, it could even be to be involved in social or political issues, but to never proclaim the name of Jesus. So now might be a good time to remind ourselves what the scripture says is our one purpose and our one mission. Our one purpose is to exalt the name of Jesus in everything that we do. And our one mission is the Great Commission. We are to win people to Christ and to help people to have a growing relationship with Jesus. And of course, the devil wants us to have conflict in the church and Conflict among denominations, and you hear about that maybe even more so in the recent future because, it, recent past, but if, you can, if he can keep us focused inward and we forget our purpose and we forget our mission, those people are outside the church. Well, my goodness, they don't care what's happening in the church. They just assume stay away from the church and they assume not to have anything to do with our Lord. Meanwhile, we know that people are dying without Jesus. But also you need to know for those who are in the family of God, have the Holy Spirit, you're protected from Satan really touching you. I mean, things like demon possession and hurtful attacks, losing your soul are not possible for genuine followers of Christ. Consider that Satan is not omniscient. He is not God. He does not know all things. He is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at once. He cannot read your mind, nor does he know your heart. Ah, but Satan knows our tendencies. And like Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry or in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was arrested, we know that we can also be tempted. C.S. Lewis wrote the fictional book, The Screwtape Letters. And each chapter is a letter from a senior demon to a junior demon about the tendencies of the weak humans and how they are easily tempted. But it also represents how the hope is only found in Jesus. But the truth is, left to our own desires, we are prone to temptation and prone to sin. We also know from the story of Job and other places in the Bible, even Satan is limited according to the sovereignty of God. 
which begs the question, why is the enemy allowed to be at work in this world at all? Well, that's a session or two unto itself and probably we'll not ever be able to answer that completely and comprehend it. But it has to do with God wanting to have a unique relationship with you and God allowing us to be able to make the choice that we can choose Christ and we can choose to love him and we can choose to obey him. It's because of God's grace that it's not quite time for judgment on Satan and his demons and all the evil in this world. But you can be sure that judgment is coming. It's the warning for those who do not know Christ that you don't want to face the judgment. And in the words of Jesus in the book of Revelation, soon, he's coming soon. Uh, Charlie Daniels sang a folk tale about the devil going down to Georgia looking for a soul to steal, came across the young man playing the fiddle. And he bet a fiddle of gold against his soul in a dueling fiddle contest. And as you probably know, the boy fiddled better than the devil and won the golden fiddle. I guess he might have won his soul too. I don't know. Didn't say anything else about this in the song. Makes for a good folktale, but don't confuse it with the evil forces at work that are not beaten by our own efforts, but have already been beaten by Christ on the cross and by the resurrection of Jesus. We join Jesus by taking on the full armor of God and for the daily skirmishes we face. And not to appear too secular, but Blake Shelton with a takeoff from the Charlie Daniels song wrote and sang, the devil went down to Georgia, but he didn't stick around for this is God's country. Understand, I'm not saying that's great theology. But when we put on the full armor of God, you and I are able to experience and know the victory found in Jesus and the devil does not stick around as we place our trust and we follow the Lord and are obedient in these things. Phase three, the equipment and weapons training. I, I want to warn you here because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix some metaphors and we'll swap out some similes and intentionally illustrate further. When Paul writes to the uh, church at Ephesus, he's in prison in Rome. He probably wrote several letters while he was in Rome, including Philippians and Colossians. And in Philippians 1, he, he tells of meeting the whole imperial guard sometimes called the Praetorium Guard, the special elite, special forces that uh, served Caesar, the Praetorium Guard. I remember watching one, what has now become one of my favorite movies, Gladiator. And in Gladiator, of course, there they were in Rome, and there Russell Crowe yelled out, Praetorium! And I said, I know that word. Came, and there it was in Philippians. Chapter 1 talks about that many things, and where Paul says... Many of the Praetorium Guard are coming to know Jesus. Well, you know how that happened. We assume that happened because Paul had his guards around him that he were chained to and guarding the door. About every six hours, he had a different rotation to witness to and to tell about Jesus. No wonder they were coming to know Jesus. No doubt he's looking and listening to soldiers as he writes this letter and he uses them as an example of the battle of the Christian. A reminder as Jesus warned that the life of the sold out believer is no picnic in a park. It's a battle to be fought, not for the faint of heart. And we need to be ready. But imagine the Apostle Paul guarded by Roman soldiers, always outfitted for battle. He wants to write to the church and now they can be ready for whatever comes their way. Stand up for what is right. Watch out for the evil forces in this world, including temptation. And he looks for some way to illustrate that, something that will really speak to the people that he is writing to and to the church. And then he looks and he sees the Roman soldiers and all that they're wearing. He said, by under the direction of the Holy Spirit, this is the illustration that he wants to, wants to use. Now I'm sure we could use similar imagery and 
Think about police or own military and the equipment such as that. Um, I will tell you that several years ago, I was speaking to a group of students and we were talking about this passage. It was on the Sunday before they were starting the school the next day. And as I did, I, I used this and I'm gonna use it today to talk about what you're gonna wear on your first day of school, to be ready for your first day of school, to talk about how you can be ready every day to follow Jesus using these same illustrations that we have here. So a lot of you are in school. Most of us have been in school. Some of you have to think long and hard when you were in school and went to the first day for the semester. But here are the things you need, first day of school. You have a needed belt. And I say a needed belt because somebody may feel like you don't need a belt. There were many years I probably went without a belt, but now I feel like I need one and someday suspenders too. But here it is, it's mentioned first because it is the belt of truth. Here's one reason I'm thankful for a more modern version because in the King James, some of you had the King James, you know what I'm about to say because it says to put on the girdle of truth. And I just didn't want to talk about girdles today. But for the Roman soldier, this was a wide belt, sometimes made of leather and metal, gave support and protection so that they might be able to stand in battle. Other stuff was attached like the sword. And the truth refers to the truth about Jesus, which gives us strength, holds everything else in place. And what we believe is important because it truly determines how we act and what we do. If this is not in place, if truth is not in place, everything else falls apart. What is truth? We talked about some last week, talked about speaking the truth in love. We know truth is found in Jesus. He is the way and the only way. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Only in Christ are we able to know peace, hope, love, and be able to have eternal life. So think about Jesus as the truth that holds everything in place. And if truth is found in Jesus alone, then it ought to make a difference in how we live. Our life ought to be centered around this truth. We should tell the truth and we should act with integrity. So if truth is found in Jesus alone, live with integrity. It's your first day of school. What are you going to wear? You're going to wear some of your favorite clothes or maybe something brand new as well. It's the most obvious part of your wardrobe, the most obvious part of a war of what the Roman soldiers ensemble is what Paul calls the breastplate or the breastplate of righteousness. So that you put on, as you put on whatever you choose, even if you never think about, maybe even tomorrow as you put whatever you're gonna put on, think about putting on righteousness. Well, what does that mean? The Bible tells us we cannot attain righteousness on our own, it's only through the forgiveness of sin. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, righteousness is bestowed upon you the moment that you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. When God looks on us now for genuine believers, he does no longer see sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Last part of verse 14 says, having put on righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, he puts it on and not us. Well, that should make us humble and privileged at the same time for Christ has done for us. We're not to keep it hidden. We've been made due in Christ. So righteousness is not possible alone but let it be obvious. People need to know that you've been made righteous in Christ and it should be obvious in the words that we say and our attitudes and our actions. And then also you're gonna put on some uh, comfortable styling shoes perhaps if it's your first day. Maybe you're gonna wear the shoes you wear because they are more comfortable or maybe because it just really, really good, goes well with your outfit. I usually go for the comfort. But whatever shoes you wear, remember to put on the gospel. Be ready with the good news. 
verse 15 talks about having put on the readiness of the gospel of, feet, uh, gospel of peace on your feet. Now, Roman soldiers wore cleated sandals so that they might be able to stand in battle so that they might be ready for battle and not slip. The idea that Paul has is a readiness to share the gospel and to follow the orders. One thing we've learned about missionaries who serve in closed countries where it's against the law to tell about Jesus. One thing that they'll do, they'll always be looking to spread goodwill, do something good for the community and for people so that they might be able to have an opportunity of an open door to share the gospel. And that's what we want to do. We want to do good so that we might be able to share the gospel. Paul calls it the gospel of peace. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7 said something about this. Isaiah chapter 52 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. It is the good news of peace. Some of you know that the last few years we've been, a, we've been part of Who's Your One? Encouraging everybody to have at least one person that they're praying for, one person that they want to share with, invite to church, invite to be able to hear the good news of the gospel. One person who's lost or unchurched. Well, I'm giving you kind of what's coming up next. And so by the end of February, we're going to kind of up the game plan a little bit. We want to encourage you to do who's your three. Find three people that you know. It doesn't necessarily rhyme because it's the same word, but who's your three in 2023, I guess, would be it. But we encourage you, even now, be thinking about or ask the Lord to lay three people on your heart who are lost or who are unchurched. For Jesus is the only way to true peace. And for many believers who still feel they do not have peace in their life, it may be because they're trusting in Jesus plus something else. But peace is found in trusting Jesus alone. So be ready to share the hope of salvation. Then you also want to carry with you an invisible shield. I tried to come up with something that you need to carry that stood for faith. And I remember the definition for faith from the book of Hebrews. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, though not seen, intangible in itself, though is demonstrated in how we live our life. For Paul, he had a tangible shield that the Romans carried. It would snuff out the fiery darts that would come their way. And we recognize that it's the faith that we place in Jesus by continuing to grow in our faith, the faith that we live by. That's what stops the fiery arrows of temptation. Be ready because the enemy be sending those fiery arrows. Faith in Jesus combats those temptations and to keep on keeping on. Faith in Jesus combats temptation and it keeps on keeping on. The shield of faith will keep you standing and heading in the right direction. And then we want to talk about wearing a proper hat or maybe even the proper helmet you don't really wear to school. So maybe just the hair on your head perhaps. And we want to put on salvation. Paul calls it the helmet of salvation and it is pure protection. Now understand this, that when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what you already have. Whether we know it or not, we understand that we're, we're protected because we have salvation. We have that which cannot be taken away once we come into the family of God. You know, so if we think about our first day of school, next time you are uh, combing, fixing, moosing, straightening, curl, throwing on a hat, if you're a believer in Jesus, remember that God's got you covered no matter what happens. He loves you and you're a child of God for all eternity. Nothing can separate us from his love, we're told in Ephesians chapter 3. So if believers are always protected, then live confidently. 
Not self-confidence, but confidence in God. And another illustration of what you need, well, you're always going to carry school supplies on your first day, whatever that may be. But let your school supply be the Word of God. Carry the Word of God. You like, might literally carry the Bible with you, and that would be fine. But more, maybe even more important is knowing the Word and practicing the truth. The psalmist said, Thy word I've hid in my heart that I may not sin against God. It will not matter if they say you can't pray. It won't matter if they say you can't talk about Jesus or pass out Bibles. If you carry God's word in your heart, the power of God's word will prevail. The only weapon needed is to stay in the word. It's the only weapon of all this has, that Paul uses as an illustration about what the Romans have and what they're carrying. It's the only offensive weapon. It is the only thing that we need with the power of God living in, in us. You know, most people who come to me about really going through some spiritual warfare, they're going through difficult times. They want to know about spiritual warfare. And a lot of people, when it comes to those things, they're either one extreme or the other. That's all they want to talk about, or we really don't want to talk about that too much. But for those people, if that's all they want to talk about, I usually tell them if they feel like they're dealing with spiritual warfare, stay away from books that are dealing with spiritual warfare. Because... I guess just in the ones that I have looked at, and I'm no expert on that, but it seems to put a lot of emphasis on the enemy. When I want to encourage, if you're dealing with spiritual warfare, and all of us are to some extent, that you want to run to Jesus. You want to discover more and more about him. You want to cling to him, and you want to find yourself saturated in his word. You know that verse that we often quote, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We often forget the most important part of that verse in James chapter 4 and verse 7, where it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Try to resist the devil on your own. Try to do it without the spiritual armor of God. Well, good luck with that. But all the difference it makes when we submit ourselves to the Lord. What's our goal as believers? I think we get a clue in these verses. Let me just point out to you, if there's a word sometimes repeated, we sure want to pay attention to that. But uh, notice, if you will, depending on your translation, in verse 10, it says, take your stand. And then there again in verse 13, it says, stand your ground. Then again in verse 13, it says to stand. And then in verse 14, it says, stand firm then. So what is it that is your goal as a believer? It is to stand for Jesus. Stand up for Jesus and exalt his name and share with him with others. You know, we think about spiritual warfare and we think about all the evil things that are happening in this world. It might seem sometimes intimidating. It may be sometimes we just rather not think about it. But all we can recognize because we are followers of Jesus, because of who Christ is, and as we submit to him that there is no battle that has not already been won. There is no challenge that with God's help that we cannot overcome. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus today, then you need to know that we live in a world where, yes, evil is rampant. Lots of bad things happen in this world. And hope is only found in Jesus. Turn to him today. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Ask Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to you now. We recognize that you are at work in this place. 
We thank you that we've been able to bring praise to you today. We thank you that we've been able to participate together in the Lord's Supper. Thank you for all that you have done. And even now, Father, we thank you for the word that speaks to us. From this letter of the Apostle Paul. We pray, Father, that we can live with confidence knowing that Christ has won the victory. Thank you for letting us join in today. Father, we pray if there's someone here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. Thank you for how you're going to be at work in these next few minutes in this worship service as well as in the days to come. It's in the precious name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen.